You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. This morning we're talking about the reborn identity. And you can get it, your notes out, scan the QR code. It'll bring it up on your phone if you like, and we can get it either way. The notes are just there to help you, help you remember what we talk about. It's good to kind of digest, learn, study, meditate on these principles we're going to go over this morning. This is really foundational to the kingdom, what we talk about today. But this is a big piece, because if we don't get this piece right, uh, the rest doesn't line up. So this piece, we kind of have to get this lined up to catch the rest of it. So hope that you you get it this morning, or at least it uh, maybe even encourages what you already know. It serves as a review. And sometimes, you know, you're in a service, and what one person really gets out of it. It's totally different what you get out of it, and that's okay. And sometimes God will bring another thought that's not even in the notes, and the speaker hasn't said it, but you say, aha, I got another great thought. And those are good to write down, record, and keep. Uh, we're soon going to launch our app. I know I said that a few months ago, but we are close. We are looking forward to launching the Coastal Church app, and I hope it will be ready in the next little week next little week, the next few days, next little while, I hope it'll be ready because that's one of the features of the app is able to take notes. So that's coming. This morning, Reborn Identity, there was a question asked by CBC in the 1970s, a very interesting question. It was phrased this way, and the people had to complete the phrase. So the first three words were, as Canadian as, and then you had to fill it in. Last week we did a survey on the phone, remember that? And uh, so you could say, as Canadian as maple syrup, because that was the number one response. And all the services, except for the 1230 service, I think maple syrup was number one. Something really weird happened at the 1230 service, because <laughs> I was watching the results, and Bannock was on there, and Bannock was just shooting higher and higher and higher, and I got... Man, that wasn't even registering the last couple services. And then I looked at how many responses. I go, wait a minute. There's more responses than there are people out there. So I discovered there were a few people out there who were just over and over texting in panic. So we fixed that little thing. And now you only get to do one response. So no more skewing the results here. All right. Anyhow, as Canadian as Bannock, as Canadian as Maple Syrup, as Canadian as Tim Hortons, as Canadian as... So they asked Canada, all of Canada, CBC does this little survey, 1970s, you finish the phrase, as Canadian as... Now, are you ready for the response? Because you, you'll want to write this down, this is so Canadian. You, hang on, fasten your seatbelt, because this just summarizes it. Are you guys ready? Okay, five of you are ready, the rest... The rest of you are just so much anticipation. Okay, there you go. As Canadian as possible under the circumstances. <laughs> that was the winning response. I read that. I said, are you kidding? It sounded so Canadian. As Canadian as possible under the circumstances. <laughs> like, I mean, we're pleasing everybody with that, right? So it's very, very conservative, very tolerant, very... Oh, man, it might be different now than it was in the 70s. I'm not sure. So there's been a lot written about, well, what is our Canadian identity? And it's good to know our Canadian identity. However, we're only going to live as a Canadian for so long, and then that's over. So it's good to know our Canadian identity, but there is something 
much greater than that, and that is our identity in the kingdom of heaven. And so, yes, we should know something about our Canadian identity, but I think it's even more important to know about our spiritual identity. And that's where we want to go this morning, our spiritual identity. Because our true identity is really in the kingdom of God. We were reborn into the spiritual kingdom. Now, here's the big idea for this morning that you have to catch. If we don't know our identity, we don't know our destiny. We have a hard time figuring out what to do with our life because we don't know who we are. We make decisions or choices in our life based on how we see ourselves. So if I see myself as an expert mountain biker, guess what? I make a lot of choices around mountain biking. If, I, if my identity is that I'm going to be the wealthiest man in the city, that's my image of myself. I'll make a lot of choices about that, and that becomes my destiny. So this message this morning is about seeing our spiritual identity as the primary thing that shapes the destiny of our life. There was a movie that came out a few years ago called The Born Identity. In the movie The Born Identity, Matt Damon plays Jason Bourne, and he's rescued at sea by this Italian fishing boat, and he only has his bank account tattooed on his hip, and he tries to find out who he is. And he's got a lot of extraordinary abilities. He can fight. He's got linguistic skills. He, he's, but he's desperate to find out who he is, why people want him dead. He comes to a scene in the restaurant, and this woman that he's sitting with, he's asking her this question, who am I? Like, who does this kind of stuff? And he's asking that question because until he figures that out, who he is, he really doesn't know what to do with his life. So I want to show you that scene to set up the message, and then away we go. I'm not making this up. These are real. Okay. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I come in here, and the first thing I'm doing is I'm catching the sight lines and looking for an exit. I see the exit sign, too. I'm not worried. I mean, you were shot. People do all kinds of weird and amazing stuff when they're scared. I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? So... The question is, how do I know that and not know who I am? He's, the question Jason's asking is, who am I? Because I, I don't know what to do with my life until I figure out who I am. And that's a good point because your identity drives the choices that you make, and the choices that you make determine your destiny. So we're going to back this thing all the way up to the headwaters and find out what is our primary identity, not as a Canadian or not as somebody from another country, but what is my primary identity in the kingdom of God? If we get this figured out... It's much easier to live and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. But if we don't have that figured out, we'll never really enjoy the benefits that God wants us to have in this kingdom. Identity determines your destiny. 
In 2011, the Associated Press ran a deeply moving story about a, a name-changing ceremony for girls in Mumbai, India. At birth, the 285 girls had been given the name Nakusa or Nakushi. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly, but it means unwanted in the primary Indian language of Hindi. The name unwanted is widely given to girls across India whose families often value sons more than they do daughters. So they had a renaming ceremony for these girls that were named unwanted. This article says the 285 girls wearing their best outfits, braids and bows in their hair lined up to receive certificates with their new names along with small flower bouquets. Some of the girls chose new names like beautiful or prosperous or... Uh, different names, and they, they took on a new name. And after the ceremony, one of the girls said, now in school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by my new name. And this makes me very happy. It was all about changing their identity. I mean, if you grew up, and every time somebody talked to you, they called you unwanted, that would shape your destiny. That would shape the choices that you made. If you were rejected, if you were uh, looked down upon, if that shaped your identity, it would really shape where you ended up. But they had the ceremony and said, no, we're going to give you a new name. And that new name will shape their destiny. And our destiny is so related, folks, to our identity. If we get this right, even though we may not have everything else going for us, we may not be born with a silver spoon in our mouth, we may not have all the right connections, we may not have all the money, we may not have all these other things that maybe others have, but if you have this revelation of your identity In the kingdom of heaven, wow, you've got enough. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? Yeah. That's so true. So true. Hmm. First, John chapter 3, verse 3 says, here, Jesus talking to Nicodemus, I assure you, unless you're born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. How do we get into the kingdom of God? We're born again. It's a spiritual birth, not a natural birth. It's a spiritual birth. Remember last week we talked about the kingdom of heaven. It's an inside job, not an outside job. It's inside. The kingdom of God comes on the inside of you. John said in 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The kingdom of heaven is greater than the kingdom of the world. You overcome because you're born of God. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith, born of God. We are born of God. You know, those kids ask the best questions. I think they ask the hardest questions, actually, because they're the simplest. And they just kind of cut to the chase and ask questions. One of our children came up to me one time and said, Daddy, I have a question for you. I said, what is it? Okay, you told me that Jesus is in heaven because he died and went to heaven. Is that right? I go, that's right. Jesus is in heaven. But then you said I could ask Jesus into my heart and he lives in my heart. Is that right? I go, that's right. Okay, I have a question. How can Jesus be in heaven and Jesus be in my heart? This does not make sense to me. Is that a good question? And I go, oh, that's a tough question. How do I answer that? And so I think, how do I answer that? And then God gave me the answer. Because and I I refer back to the natural kingdom again, or the kingdom of this world that we live in. I am born of Henry. My dad's name's Henry. I don't know what your dad's name is, but my dad's name is Henry. So I am born of Henry. I have Henry's DNA in me. Like it or not, you got your mom's DNA in you, and you got your dad's DNA in you. And whether you like it or not, you got their DNA. (laughs) Yes. Some features you like, and some you wish you could change. But you're kind of stuck with your parents' DNA. So I have my dad's DNA in me. And I I have Henry is in me. 
I, I kind of walked the way he walked. I have some features that he have. I have some features of my mom. But I, had the, I am born of Henry, so I have Henry's DNA in me. Now, my dad is in heaven. He's died and gone to heaven. He's in heaven, but yet his DNA is in me. Henry is within me. He's in my DNA. I'm born naturally, we understand that, but spiritually, Jesus is in heaven. But when I accept him into my life, I am born of God. There's a spiritual identity, a spiritual rebirth, and something happens in the spiritual realm where my spirit, because we're a three-part being, we have a, we have a body, that's our earth suit, we have a will and emotion and so forth, but we're also a spiritual being. If somebody's lying in a coma and they come out of the coma, their body didn't move, they had no thoughts, they didn't cry, they didn't laugh, but they'll still say, oh, I knew you were there. I, I, I could sense there was a part of me that was still awake. What was it? That's the spirit part of you. That's the real you. It's in that place that we are born again, that our spirit is made one with God. And somehow, miraculously, as Jesus prayed, may they be one. And there's this galvanizing, or our spirit, his spirit, become one. Watchman Nee, the great Chinese theologian, said, God never built a place that he doesn't dwell. First, he rebuilds our spirit, and then he comes and he lives in it. And this is a place that his DNA now is within me. So is Jesus in heaven? Absolutely. But his DNA is in me. Can I get Henry's DNA out of my body? Nope. Like it or not, I'm stuck with my dad's DNA. And I cannot get God's DNA out of me because I am born of God. That's my identity. That's my spiritual identity, which is stronger than any other natural identity. And when we get that figured out, just like Jason Bourne in the movie, when we figure out, oh, this is who I am. When we figure that out, and that becomes our primary source of identity, we make different choices which affect our destiny. So in the kingdom of heaven, it's very important to know our, our destiny. Because it comes, I mean, our identity, because it leads to our destiny. Our identity is based on a relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's relationship-based. The rich young ruler, in Luke chapter 18, comes up to Jesus and he says to Jesus, Jesus, teacher, he actually calls him teacher, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, right away, there's something wrong with that question. Let's think about it for a bit. What must I do to inherit? If your grandfather says, passes away, so I'm going to leave you the, my golf clubs. You don't do anything for the golf clubs. He just passes away, and you inherit the golf clubs. You don't do anything for them. They were just given to you, right? But he's, he, this guy's type A personality. He's performance-driven, and he comes up to Jesus. All right, man, I, I've been doing everything since a kid. I've got it all checked off. I'm a, I have a 4.0 average. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And right away, the question's flawed because you don't do anything to inherit eternal life. It is a gift of God, not based on our works, but based on the grace of God, His mercy for us. It's free. And so his question already is flawed, but he's so driven. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is nothing. You can't earn eternal life. It's, it's given to us. See, in the kingdom of the world... Again, it's upside down, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of the world, identity is based on this. Performance plus others' opinion. My identity is based on how well I perform and what you think about me. How many people like me on Facebook? How many people follow me on Twitter? How much money I made? How much education I've got? How many gold medals I won? This becomes our identity. 
And if we don't have a lot of likes or somebody dishes us or somebody, if we don't make as much money, our identity goes down. Can you see the, the strength there is when our identity is, first of all, based on I have a relationship with God the Father. This is so key, living out in the kingdom of heaven. If we get this, no matter where you're born, where you came from, your destiny will be shaped, and you'll make different choices. Let me tell you a story. There's this fellow by the name of Ben Hooper, and uh, I'm going to tell you what happened to him. But before that, leading up to the introducing Ben, there was this man, and he was on a holiday. I've told this story before, but I just feel I should tell it again for those who haven't heard it. And uh, he's on holidays with his wife, and then went to Gatlinburg. And Gatlinburg is kind of like the Banff of the Smoky Mountains. It's a great place to go. If you ever get to Tennessee, check out Gatlinburg, uh, the changing of the leaves. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous place to go to. So he goes to Gatlinburg with his wife. They sit down. They have this wonderful meal. And, uh, and uh, they're enjoying their time together, really intimate conversations and all the rest of it. And they're just enjoying this, you know. It's so good on this super date. And this old man walks up to them and he says, excuse me, are you people tourists? And they said, well, yes, we are. We are. We're visiting. And he goes, oh, good. Well, where are you from? And so they told him where, he was, where they were from. And meanwhile, the guy's thinking, how do I get rid of this guy? Like, I really just want to talk to my wife or you don't feel like talking to this gentleman. And so then the guy says, hey, well, what do you do for a living? He's all, okay, now I got him. I'm going to tell him something. He won't know what it is. He says, well, I, I, I teach uh, homiletics. And uh, I, he gives him a couple other words. And he says, oh, so you, uh, you teach people how to preach. He goes, yeah. He's all, great. Then the guy says, can I tell you my preacher story? He says, everybody's got a preacher story. And so he's thinking inside, but he says, okay, sure. Tell me your preacher story. Very polite. He says, okay, tell me your preacher story. And so he says, well, you know, I, when I was a, a young boy, I was in town, and uh, uh, people would walk on the side of the street from where I was, uh, called me all kinds of names, and uh, because I had a, came from a single home, didn't know who my dad was, just had a mum raise me. And then one day, I heard some of the kids from school went to a church service. There was an amazing preacher, so I wanted to go hear the preacher too. So I went, and uh, I sat at the back, came late, and before it was over, I'd sneak out so nobody would talk to me. And then one day, the preacher was so good that I didn't get up in time. And as I went to leave, it was crowded now as people were leaving the building, I felt this big hand grab my shoulder. And I turned around, and it was the preacher. And I looked up at this big preacher, and the preacher said to me, and whose boy are you? And I just froze, because I don't know whose boy I am. But then that preacher said something to me, and I never forgot. He said, I'll tell you whose boy you are. You're God's boy. And then he slapped me on the bottom, and he said, now, don't you ever forget it. <laughs> and I left. And that was it. The old man left. The waitress came up and said, do you, uh, you know who you were talking to there? And they said, no, it was a very interesting story. This old gentleman was telling me his preacher's story. She said, well, I'll tell you who that is. That's Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper's a two-time governor of Tennessee. How did this guy go from where he was to be two-time governor of Tennessee? He had one simple revelation. He knew his identity. I have a relationship with God the Father. God is my daddy. This is my identity. I may not be, I may not have a natural dad. I may be born on the wrong side of the tracks. I may not have much going for me, but I know God is my father. This is my identity. And I will make my choices based on that identity, and that will shape my destiny. Guess what, folks? 
We all have that identity, so we can all shape our destiny based on this one revelation. My identity is in my relationship with God the Father. In Luke chapter 9, 25, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self or his identity? What good is it for if you get everything but you lose your identity? True success begins and flows from identity. The first thing that was settled in the ministry of Jesus was his identity. This is really important. Can you look at your neighbor and just say, this is really important? All right. (laughs) Now your neighbor told you, and I told you, so we know this has got to be somewhat important. What happened was Jesus as you know, starts off his ministry, and he does a lot of amazing things. He would turn water into wine. He would heal the sick. He'd preach to the multitudes, do all those wonderful things. But the first thing that happened in his ministry, we find in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 to 22. It's in your notes. And when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying... Jesus was praying when he was baptized. Heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. This is the Father speaking. Listen to the words. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. What human being wouldn't want to hear those words from their dad? You're my son. I love you and I'm well pleased with you. That shaped his choices, his destiny from there on. That was a trajectory trajectory of his ministry was a fact that he was loved by the Father. Was he rejected? Was he despised? Did some people like him? Some people not like him? Absolutely. Will everybody like you? No. But if this is the fundamental core piece of your identity, it will shape your decisions and your destiny. Now, Jesus is unique in that he's the only divine son of God. There's no other to compare with him. There never will be. We're partakers of the divine nature, but we are not divine. But yet every person who's born again and has accepted Christ, this is what the Father says to them. You are my child whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. And you say, time out. I think God would say that about Jesus, but I don't think he's going to say that about me, that he's pleased. Because you got to know, I have done some terrible things. I don't think he's pleased with me. He might even say he loves me. He might even say that I'm his child. But I don't think he's going to say that he's pleased with me. Well, based on what you've done, he's not pleased. But he's pleased with you because you are in Christ. Because he sees no fault, no sin in your life. Because guess what? They're washed away. They're, they're gone. Deleted. God, cast in the sea of forgetfulness. So he sees you through Christ, and he's so pleased. This is the biggest piece, really, in understanding the kingdom of heaven is our identity that we are loved by the Father. He's pleased with us. And so out of that, we'll make good choices. But if we think God's mad at us, that he doesn't love us, we'll make crazy decisions. But when we get this right, his grace, his mercy, it really influences the decisions that we make. Of course, water baptism is a picture of that. My old life is dead. I have a new life in Christ. It's really a historical point in our life. We can look back and say, that was the day I went public with my love for God. Now, unfortunately, there's a thief. And just like today, unfortunately, there are thieves that steal your identity. They say something like every 79 seconds, somebody in America has their, there's an identity theft taking place where somebody's stolen their identity. 
Ever gone to use your credit card and you've paid for a meal and the waitress comes back and says, oh, excuse me, sir, your, your card isn't working? Uh, and you say, well, I'll try it again. I know my bills are paid and I know it should be good. And they, they go through it again. You put your PIN number in. Say, oh, sorry, it doesn't work. So, you, you, you know, you get out another card or you pay with cash or something. And then you go to another store. You go to the gas station, try your card again. Oh, my card doesn't work. And you go, oh, what's up? So, phone the credit card company. And they say, uh, your card has been, somebody's hacked in and got your number, whatever. And they've stolen it. And so, we, we stopped your card from being used. Now, you're glad the card company did that. But you still feel really violated, correct? And the enemy comes and he wants to steal your identity or cause you to doubt your identity. Remember what happened to Jesus when he was water baptized? God says, you're my beloved son. I love you. Then he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And he's there for 40 days. And the enemy comes to tempt him. What is the first thing that Satan does when he comes to tempt him? Uh, You'll find it in point number two. The first thing that he does is he says to him in Matthew 4, verse 3, we have it there. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said to him, look at these words. If you are the son of God, he knows very well that he's the son of God. And likewise, the devil knows your identity. What he wants you to do is get you to doubt your identity and start acting on your doubt instead of your faith. But if we act on our faith and our identity, wow. Great destiny. But if we start doubting who we are, you know what he brings to doubt? It's just like Jesus. When you're emotionally spent, when you're tired, when you're in the desert. Have you ever been in a desert in your spiritual life? If you haven't, you will be. I I wish I could say you'll never go through a desert experience. Christian life is always roses and easy. That's not true. Christian life has got some desert times. We say, God, hello, are you still up there? Do you, like, where are you? Like, this is getting really hard. My prayers haven't been answered for a week. God, where are you? And we kind of feel like we're in this desert. And then you'll have the enemy come along and say, if your God really loves you, if that was true, he doesn't say it's not. He just plants the seed of doubt. What does he want you to do? He wants us to get our eyes off our identity because then we make wrong choices. This is what happened to David. David, what's he? He's a king, anointed by God, king. It says in Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, when the season came, all the kings went out to battle, but David stayed home. Kings were supposed to be out in battle. David stays home. What happened to David? He forgot his identity. The guy's a king. He should be out in battle, but he stays home. So he stays home. All the other kings are out in battle. And David says, oh, man, slept in this morning. (laughs) What a good morning. Got my Starbucks happening, got a, little, got a little wrap happening here, a good breakfast, all right. He gets up and he's stretching. Oh, man, what a babe down there. Woo! Nobody's watching. Gets his binoculars. Woo! Can you get my assistant in here, please? Yes. Uh, personal assistant. Can you just run over to the neighbors there and uh, just check to see if that lady's interested in coming over and being with the king today? <clears throat> so he gets all dolled up, puts on his best GQ suit, got a little aftershave going there, and, uh, and she comes in. Oh, so nice to have you here. And uh, you know the rest of the story. They end up going to bed together. She gets pregnant. That doesn't go very well. So what does David do? David has her husband killed in war. I mean, it just spirals downward. David's making some stupid decisions. Why does David do that? 
because he forgot who he was. He forgot his identity. The enemy wants to get us off our A game by having us not see who we are. As a believer, one of our responsibilities is to continue to remember, this is who I am. This is who I am. When husbands forget they're married, they do dumb things. When Christians forget their identity, they do things they shouldn't do. You can paint it for your own scenario. A wife, a husband, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a businessman. If we forget our identity, we do things that are outside of God's will for our lives. We make wrong choices, which affects our destiny. And Satan tempts us on our identity. The primary temptation is the identity test. Jesus keeps coming back. No, it's written. Temptation number two. Nope, it's written. Temptation number three. Nope, it's written. What would be our cue? What do you think is our instruction? When the tempter comes to us, says, if you're a child of God, if your God really loves you, if you come back to no, it's written. That's all about our identity. No, I'm a child of the Father. My identity's here. Ah. Okay, let's reclaim our identity. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up here. James chapter 1, 23 and 24 talks about looking at your image and then walking away and forgetting who you are. And we have to continue to look in the mirror, remember who we are. It's so easy to forget who we are. So how do we reclaim our identity if we've lost it? Number one, we reclaim our identity when our significance is settled in God. My significance is not settled in my performance like that rich young ruler. It's not settled in how much I have, who knows me. Uh, all my, my education or all those type of things, my significance, I'm going to settle once and for all, is in my relationship with God. That is my primary source of significance. You can have those other things, but this is primary. That will help you make right decisions. Number two, we reclaim our identity when we distinguish greatness from fame. We have a world that wants to be famous. Oh, let me get this on YouTube. It's going to go viral. I will be famous, and I will be on the Ellen Show, and Jay Leno will interview me, and I will be famous. I'm going to go, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to dance, and they're going to see me, and I will be famous. I'm going to start this company, and I will be famous. There's a hunger for fame. There's a hunger for acceptance. This is why the enemy tempted Jesus when he was tired. Why did you jump off this roof? The angels will catch you. Everybody go, oh, wow, what a jump. You will be accepted. You will be... Little kids do that, right? They run around for attention. You go, look at me, look at me. And we go, yay, you're so cute. It's cute when you're three, but it's not cute when you're 33. <laughs> so we want fame, but our identity has to be in greatness, not fame. There's a difference. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Number three, we reclaim our identity when faithfulness matters more than success. There is a difference between faithfulness and success. Tim Hansel has a book called Holy Sweat. Interesting title, Holy Sweat. And he tells the story of Clarence Jordan. He started Koinia Farm. From there, Habitat for Humanity was founded. A lot of other great things. But Clarence Jordan's, Jordan was brilliant. He had a number of PhDs. He had a PhD in agriculture, PhD in Greek and Hebrew. A lot of, lot, very smart academic, great farmer. But in the 40s, he started a farm in in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and, uh, or near Atlanta, Georgia. And the farm was for poor white and poor black people. And in the 40s, this didn't go over very good. The townspeople were upset because they talked about segregation, including the church people, unfortunately. The church people as well weren't in favor of it. 
but he just kept going anyhow. The Ku Klux Klan in 1954 said, we're going to get rid of them once and for all. And you all heard about the Ku Klux Klan. They show up one night, and they burn all his buildings down. They take their rifles, and they just shoot bullets everywhere through his house. All the families leave except for one black family. Everybody else is gone. The next morning, where's, uh, where's Mr. Jordan? But he's out in the field hoeing and planting seeds. He recognized the voices of the Ku Klux Klan. Sadly, some of them were from his church, and there was also a newspaper reporter. The newspaper reporter shows up, and he's out there planting, and he's, and he's hoeing away. And as the article says here, that he recognized the voices. One was this newspaper reporter. The rubble still smoldered. The land was scorched, but the reporter found Clarence in the field hoeing and planting. I heard the awful news, he called to Clarence, and I came out to do a story on the tragedy of your farm closing. Clarence just kept on hoeing and planting. The reporter kept prodding and poking, trying to get a rise from this quietly determined man who seemed to be planting instead of packing his bag. So the final reporter said in a haughty voice, Well, Dr. Jordan, you got two of them PhDs, and you've got put 14 years into this farm, and there's nothing left of it at all. Just how successful do you think you've been? Clarence stopped hoeing, turned toward the reporter, his penetrating blue eyes, said quietly but firmly, About as successful as the cross, sir... I don't think you understand us. What we are about is not success, but faithfulness. We're staying good day. And from then on, that farm took a turn. Today, it still operates, still doing great work. Like I said, Habitat for Humanity, many other great things have come out of there. But he said, my significance, my value, my identity is founded in being faithful, not your version of success. Lastly, Our identity can be reclaimed when we daily reflect on who we are according to God's Word. A number of years ago, I wrote out a little confession. You could do the same for yourself. And every once in a while, I'll pull it out, and for 30 days, I go through it again. Sometimes people come to me, and they're struggling with decisions to make and who they are. And I'll say, okay, this is from Dr. Coop. I'm going to write you a prescription. You've got to say this two times a day, and after 30 days, you'll feel a lot better. So this may work for you today. You can write your own. I'll just go to the mirror. And it's important you say it in the mirror. You have to actually look at yourself when you say it two times a day. And I'll just give you a little bit of it this morning. I'll say this. I am a child of God. It's who I am. Remember the born identity little clip? He didn't know what to do because he didn't know who he was. Sometimes we start to doubt or forget who we are. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am not alone. The Lord is on my side. I do not fear man. I'm a man who greets every day with love in my heart. I am created in God's image. Never has there been another exactly like me. I am unique, rare, and valuable. There I do not have to imitate others. Today the Father thought innumerable good thoughts about me in my future. I am gentle, walking in love, sensitive, not seeking my own, for love never fails. I'm renewing my mind daily to the Word of God, and I walk in the perfect will of God. I'm a man who follows the leading of the Holy Spirit. God's power flows through me. They're just scriptures. Reflecting on it, saying it over yourself. This is who I am in God. This is my identity. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org. 